This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hello, welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I'm your host, Nader Dabit. Um, today, as our special guest, we have Paul Gray. Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, good to be here. So, Paul, this is the first time me and you have met, um, and I'm sure a lot of people that don't already know you would love to hear, you know, kind of what you're doing. Can you give us a quick intro? Sure. My name is Paul. I'm a software developer at a educational technology company called Learning Objects. Uh, we have a learning platform that helps instructional designers create better contents. So, how long have you been working with React, and how did you kind of get into programming? Um, I've been working React with React for I don't know, probably about two years. And uh, originally, I got into programming TI eighty nine calculators in middle school, and it was super fun. And uh, I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> So uh, went to school probably I don't know like ten years ago. So I've been I've been programming for around ten years. Okay, cool. So um, did you study programming or did you kind of just get into it on your own? Yeah, well, so when I was in high school, it was definitely on my own, and then I went to uh, college in Virginia. I got a degree in software engineering, actually, oddly enough. Which oh, very cool. Undergrad degree. <laughs> Oh, that's still awesome, though. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned TI-83 or the calculator stuff. You'd be surprised. Like, I would say like 25% of the people that I've interviewed like have said the same thing. It's crazy. Like, that must be just like the gateway drug for a lot of people. <laughs> it was actually, it was a TI-89 plus silver edition. Oh, really? <laughs> well, um, so today our topic is going to be a new library or utility that Paul has kind of created called Chainable Components. And we're going to talk about like why it was created. We're going to touch on a few things that are kind of around render props and um, how are component discussion. We've had this discussion around that a couple of times on this show. Now we're going to kind of talk about a couple of, uh, or a solution and we're going to kind of talk about other solutions that like are around the same space and like when you may want to use Chainable Components when you may want to use uh, harder, harder components, uh, when you might want to use render props, when you might want to use context, when you, might, you, know, when you would use certain solutions for certain problems. So um, can you talk about what Chainable Components is and why you, I guess you made it? Sure. Um, so I was a big fan of higher order components as a pattern when it came out. And uh, then I listened to the... Um, uh, Michael Jackson t gave a talk on, you know, uh, render props components, how it solved a lot of the, the problems that higher order components have and made a lot of sense to me. But the one thing I missed from higher order components was their composability. Um, so I wanted to make something that had the declarativeness of the render props components, but didn't sacrifice anything on the composability side. Right, because if you're using render props, uh, you end up with nesting if you have multiple like you know pieces of data you want to work with, right? Is that the kind of problem you're trying to solve? 
Right, exactly. They're they're basically it's really tough to compose them. It's definitely not as easy as composing higher order components where you just need like a simple one line function. Um, so yeah. So can you talk about the API for um, you know for chainable components? I know it's kind of hard to talk about APIs on a podcast, but I guess more about um, some of the decisions you made and kind of like if someone was using another library, like what knowledge could they take to this library to kind of understand how to get going quickly? Sure. So the, the easy way I explain it to people, which usually resonates with JavaScript developers, is um, if you think about uh, what promises did for asynchronous callback methods, uh, Chainable Components does something very similar for render props components. So if you think about uh, way back in the day where we were doing uh, asynchronous requests in Node.js, um, and we had to like say we wanted to do like three requests in a row where we request a, a user image, uh, or sorry, a, a, like a user profile, we get some JSON back, and then on that profile is the URL of the, uh, the user. So we then go fetch that URL. Um, so if we have like three of these requests that we want to do in a row, where each sort of builds on the context of the previous one, it got very hairy very quickly. And a lot of people reference this as, you know, the pyramid of doom problem where the code just kind of like means into the right of the screen. So to sort of counteract that uh, and make that API a little bit easier, uh, people develop the, these uh, things called promises and uh, basically helped a bit uh, where, uh, where it would take, it would wrap the context of the resource you're requesting in this encapsulated object that had handy methods on it that made it a lot easier to deal with. So the idea is you would, um, instead of providing a callback, you would just get an object back, which was called a promise. And then to get at the resource asynchronously, you would call the then method. And the, the then method was really powerful because it could, uh, you could return a promise and it would automatically compose those two promises. Um, so what does that have to do with chainable components? Well, so if you, if you look at the anatomy of a render prop component, you basically, you have some configuration attributes. These are almost like parameters to the render prop component. And then you have another parameter, which is essentially a callback function, right? Which it, it takes the value that the render prop produces and passes it as a parameter to that function. So if you kind of tilt your head and squint, a render prop component has kind of a similar API to an asynchronous uh, callback function from Node.js, right? You have the parameters, which are the attributes, and then you have the uh, child function, which is you know, the callback function. Um, with render props, it's not always asynchronous, so it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, but basically, um, we can develop uh, the same or, or a similar API that promises add on top of asynchronous uh, callback functions. We can, we can do that for render props components. And that's basically what chainable components is. 
So can you use chainable components with like AC the way? Um, good question. <laughs> um, you can, so I don't, I've done a little bit of research and uh, in the, the TypeScript compiler, since I don't know if, if many of the uh, runtimes support it, um, I've tried to use it with the TypeScript compiler and it kind of converts it to a promise. So it doesn't actually work with async await. There's actually a really interesting uh, GitHub gist that someone created, uh, which was basically, uh, you can Google it. It's called, um, what is it called? Uh, async await is the do notation of JavaScript. It's, it's something like that. Uh, and it basically talks about how, you know, async await composes promises. We can compose other things too. Uh, but it, in the end, we realized that it only works for promises, which is a little disappointing. But anyway, that's, that's a really good question. So no, you can't use it with async await. <laughs> okay, interesting. So um, what are some good use cases? I know that like, um, harder components are used with, with Redux, they're used with uh, libraries like Apollo, and then, um, you know, render props. I know React Router implements those for routing and things like that. Like, what are some good use cases if someone was going to kind of uh, use this? Would this be something that someone would build a library with, or would this be something they'd be able to use in just a regular app? Well, so I think it's, it's just another tool to share reusable code in React. Um, if we think historically, we started with kind of mix-ins as like the de facto way, and mix-ins fell out of favor for a variety of reasons, um, which are probably for another podcast episode. <laughs> um, then we sort of built uh, higher-order components, uh, and then a lot of people have uh, taken up render props. I think it's just another way to sort of uh, have reusable code. Um, I, I tend to prefer this API over higher order components for render props, uh, but you know, it's something that I've, I've just started on. So we'll see. Very cool. Very cool. So when, when was this released, uh, as of today, was it just like this week? <laughs> um, I've been working on it for the, for the past couple months. I had to, uh, put it, uh, to the side cause I, I was picking up another project, but, um, <laughs> It's been in the works for a, a couple months. Um, it took me a while to get the initial implementation out because I had the idea in my head of, of adding the a promise like API on top of render props, but it took a while for me to actually understand under the hood. Initially, I wanted to build it for higher order components, but there's some limitations there, um, which I can get into later. Um, so really, it, it works well with converting render props. Um, so yeah, um, I could talk a little bit about the API if you'd like. Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay, so um, so basically, a lot of these promise libraries have uh, functions that convert asynchronous functions to functions that return promises. And so I've sort of built the same thing into this library with a, a build chainable uh, function. And so what this function does is it takes a render prop component uh, and converts it into a chainable component. Uh, and what that is, is basically it's a function that returns this object, which you can think of as kind of like a promise, 
um, instead of having a dot then, it has a dot app, which is short for apply. And so apply is just taking the functionality that's encapsulated in that object and uh, actually rendering it into a JSX element. Uh, so uh, for instance, I have an example um, chainable component or render prop component called with state, which takes some uh, initial state and adds uh, some state modifiers for it. It's, it's a handy little thing. I, it was actually inspired by the with state higher order component from Recompose. Um, so what I do is I built a render prop component for with state and then I've converted it to a chainable component. So anyway, this chainable component is this function where you pass it in an initial state, returns this object that has methods on it, kind of like a promise. It has a dot app method, which takes a function that takes the state object inside of it and returns a JSX element, which sort of renders that uh, view for the state. So it's, it's, it's very similar to a render prop uh, already with that API. Um, so basically, you'd use this if you wanted to sort of keep a, a little counter, right? You'd use the with state chainable component, pass it in maybe zero to start out with. Uh, and then there's methods encapsulated in there to uh, like increment the state. Um, but what's interesting about this object that you get back is you don't necessarily have to call this apply method right away. You can sort of hold on to the object uh, for a little bit uh, because there's other interesting methods that I've added onto this API. So there's one called map. So map, which sort of sounds like app <laughs> with an M, uh, is very similar to um, a map function that you would call on a, on a list, whereas the map function operates on every single item in a list. The map function for the chainable component just operates on the contextual value inside of the uh, chainable component. Yeah. Um, so it's useful if you want to sort of modify a value. Um, so a, uh, an example of that would be Say I, uh, say I actually want to modify the initial counts to be, I don't know, start at five maybe rather than zero. If I already have a reference to that object, I can just call map and add five to that initial value. And so I get back a new chainable component, which has the initial value plus five. So map is, map is kind of interesting. Um, the, the other method that's uh, also interesting is the dot chain method. Uh, so that's a little bit more powerful than map. It's a lot similar to uh, the that you find on promises. So chain is basically a function that takes uh, another function, which takes as a parameter the uh, contextual value from the chainable component and returns another chainable component you can uh, actually compose two different chainable components together. So whereas with a render prop, you actually have to create another function and get that deep nesting, like you said. You can call chain on a chainable component 
This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for devchat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers, and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at DigitalOcean.com. It uh, much simply, or <laughs> it's much more simple to uh, compose them that way. So it's tough to really kind of uh, talk about this. Yeah, yeah totally. No, you're doing a great job. It's actually um, <laughs> super interesting. I, I like you know the first overall like feeling I get after going through the, the documentation is it's like combining. Well, actually, I think you mentioned this. Maybe combining the best of uh, both. Whereas we're um, you know we're we're pulling you know but so well before I go into this actually. Does this use like so? Is there any way to use like context? Does this use context kind of under the hood, or is this something like that? It's all like local. The data is all local to, to where this is being created. Just out of curiosity. So it doesn't use context at all. Um, it's basically it's really just an API on top of render props. So if you look at the uh, the source, uh, if you look at the chainable component file, it's about not even fifty lines. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so what I was going to say is this, this like, uh, you know, brings the best of, of render props, you know, along with Howard components. And I could see where this would actually come in, in handy for certain use cases I'm already thinking about. But for, uh, for certain things that render props to me just don't work right now, like people are trying to fit, you know, render props into everything um, because it's like the cool thing to do. I think mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, Howard components have their place, render props, you know, have their place with certain things. But my problem with render props now, um, you know, they're great for certain use cases, like I mentioned, but you do get that that nasty nested uh, like um, combination of a lot of JavaScript with your uh, UI code, and um, anything more than like nesting two levels deep to me is just like I wouldn't say it's unreadable or unusable, but it's not good looking code. Yeah. So an, another problem that higher order components uh, had was if you had two higher order components that you wanted to compose and the output of one higher order component needed to get used as input to the next higher order component, that would just be a huge pain because you'd often have to have like an intermediary higher order component to sort of map the output of the previous one as parameters to the next one. And so if we sort of bundle that up in an asynchronous API, that's something that render props solved. And so this chain method on the uh, chainable components, actually, it's just a function kind of like render props where you just have access to the outer context because it's just a, a parameter to the function. Right. Very cool. Um, so how long... This is a question not really around the library itself, but for people that are looking to build like something open source, how long have you been like building and contributing to open source? That's my first question. And how did you get into it? I guess it goes along with that. And then second, how long did it take you to build this library? Like I know you mentioned you started on and you kind of stopped, but say so you were gonna like stay building this like nonstop. Like I'm just kind of curious how long it would take to build something like this. Um, so I've I've been doing open source since I've been doing professional 
software. <laughs> um, I don't know why. I just, I like the idea of collaborating with people. Um, and I, uh, so one of the goals that I have uh, for myself, at least, is to really make education a lot more affordable. My skills as a software developer, I, I think I can best contribute to that goal by creating open source software uh, that uh, maybe educational technology companies use, maybe other companies use. Uh, so that's really why I, I, I enjoy doing open source work. Um, as far as this library, it took me... Uh, so it's definitely not in a state where <laughs> it's production ready. Um, I still have a lot of like, you know, cleanup to do, a lot of documentation to write, um, so on and so forth. Uh, but for the first while, it probably took me, uh, I don't know, about a, a month to get an implementation that I was really happy with. It was kind of like, I just, I just kind of uh, was playing around one day thinking of trying to come up with, because I knew it theoretically should be possible. Um, it normally wouldn't take me that long to actually write, you know, 50 lines of code. Uh, but it, it was just, it was a really complicated problem to, to try and solve um, and try and solve with, in a way, was easy to use. Um, so yeah, about a month. <laughs> that's cool. No, it's definitely not an easy problem to solve because that's not really, hasn't really been solved yet. So it's, um, I mean, we have solutions that work, but I wouldn't say any of them are like ideal. They're, they, they're, I mean, or maybe we're just spoiled in the React community because things are so good. We're always, but we're, you know, there's always innovation happening and, um, you know, this definitely, you know, serves a purpose. Well, when you mentioned that it's not production ready, are you saying that if someone used this, like they might run into bugs or is it not production ready in the sense that it doesn't have all the documentation and you want to continue to add features before like a version, like one release? Yeah, I, I, I definitely love to get more documentation out there. Uh, again, it is 50 lines of code. So uh, the surface area for bugs to pop up is very small. At the moment, um, that's good. <laughs> I I love to uh, also build out some more components, or chainable components, sort of similar to how Recompose has a bunch of utilities for higher components, and also a lot of very useful higher components. I'd like to build a lot of useful chainable components. Very cool. Um, so if if someone wants to like, uh, you know, not only uh, like. I guess, you know, start this repo, but also kind of like follow along with you. Where are you on, on social media, like Twitter, do you write or anything like that? Do you have a website? Yeah, my, my uh, domain name is paulgray.net. Uh, it's not paulgray.com. Um, that domain is owned by someone who posts nice pictures of cats. <laughs> um, but, uh, so that's my domain. I have a blog there. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, uh, you can, uh, my handle is Paul Grizzé. It's uh, P-A-U-L-G-R-I-Z-Z-A-Y. Um, that's about all I check. <laughs> cool. Well, um, we're, we'll go ahead and jump to the picks, but before we do that, is there anything else you wanted to kind of uh, go over that we haven't discussed yet? I can, I can go into a little bit more depth on the relationship it kind of has with promises and lists. I don't know if you'd like me to. Yeah, yeah, totally. That'd be interesting. Okay. I might use the M word 
if you're familiar. Um, I don't which what what word is that? Bonehead. Oh uh, yeah, go for it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, you may have picked up on the fact uh, on on this pattern um, and recognized it. Um, so what it's called in functional programming, it actually pops up a lot. Um, so it's called a monad. Um, and actually, I'm sure you've heard the term uh, that promises are monads. Well, chainable components also are monads. Um, you don't have to understand that term to be able to reap the benefits of using monads. Um, I just feel it's you know fun to talk about stuff. Um, so what does that actually buy us? Well, there's lots of methods that are, can be applied generally to monads. Um, one of them is the uh, all method. So if you're familiar with, have you, have you ever used the promise.all method? Right, yes. Where, where you, know, you have a list of promises and it just you know, com combines or composes them into one promise? So we can build that same exact method for chainable components. So if you think about promise.all, promise.all takes a list of promises and it turns it into a promise of lists, or sorry, a promise of lists, right? So it kind of just flips it. So it takes a promise of list, turns it into a list of promises. Sorry, the opposite way. <laughs> a list of promises turns into a promise yes. of lists. List. Yes, exactly. Um, so if we have a list of chainable components, we can turn that easily into a chainable component of lists. Um, and you can actually do that for all monads. Um, there's, a, there's a maybe monad that a lot of people might be familiar with. So if you have a list of maybe monads, you can change that into a maybe of list monads, whereas there's only a list if they're all present. That kind of makes sense. Um, so what, what language is, 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 can you do this in the maybe stuff? I mean, is it, it's not JavaScript, is it? So there's, so there's maybe implementations that are for JavaScript. Um, when you get into the, like, uh, the more complicated functional stuff, it's often useful to have types. Um, but yeah, there's, 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 uh, there's maybe libraries that exist for JavaScript. Some are in TypeScript, um, some probably for Flow. Um, on my, I, as a, as a full stack developer at work, we use uh, a language called Scala on the back end, which is a typed functional language. Uh, it uses monads quite frequently. Um, so it's, it's actually a pattern that pops up quite often in languages and it's, it's sort of finding its way into JavaScript. Um, another example is the async that you mentioned. So um, async await is, 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 is really neat and it basically uh, provides a composable interface for promises. So if you think about promises, they didn't really solve the pyramid of doom problem fully because if you want to build a request that uses the output of a previous promise in the chain, then 
you have to nest that, right? There's no way to sort of, you can kind of hack it by like, you know, returning an array of values and then unwrapping that array in the next, but that gets, it's very complicated. In a lot of these other functional languages, they have syntax sugar for composing these things that are called monads. And so if you go read through that uh, blog post that that guy wrote about how async await is the do notation, that's essentially what he's talking about is async await is a way to compose and using a syntax that's very similar to how other functional languages uh, provide sugar for composing monads. And so the thing, so async await kind of really excites me on the one hand, whereas uh, it almost a little, it disappoints me a little bit because they could have just made it slightly more generic and have, have had it work for all types of monads, um, which would have been great. <laughs> but here we are, you know. That's interesting to hear. Um, do you think it's something that could be adjusted in the spec or is it kind of a decision that you don't think that, that can be like fixed? Because um, I've never actually looked at anything as far as the implementation goes about of, yeah. uh, of async await uh, or even how I would... Um, I, I think async await is, it's, it's too late on that bus just because, I mean, even the terminology is really specific to asynchronous, like async and await. Um, a lot of these other... Um, Languages have more generic, like more generic language, like do and yield. Um, it's funny, someone um, sort of threw in, a, a, as a comment to that blog post, some threw in an implementation of this uh, using generators, um, which, which I found really interesting, but TypeScript was just not there yet. Last time I looked at it, it really the types. Uh, fully correctly. So I think that uh, a lot of these uh, uh, functional concepts are really ripe for the picking. And I've already seen a few TC39 proposals around sort of like binding functions together. I think it would be uh, not a bad idea to add uh, sugar for monads too. Cool. That would uh, that would be interesting. Um, I know that functional programming is coming more and more into JavaScript. We're seeing it like you know become mainstream. I don't know a lot about functional pro programming other than what I've learned in, in the JavaScript world. But um, the people that um, you know are functional programmers seem to be pretty adamant about it. Like it's a, a good a good paradigm. So anything that we can learn from other you know other people that are doing. Um, good stuff is always really good for the JavaScript community. Is there any other, like if someone wants to learn about functional programming, like is there a certain like re uh, reference or language or just any anything that you would um, kind of encourage them to check out? Um, so actually I, I read this really great book called uh, Functional Programming in Scala. Uh, so it's, it's not for JavaScript, obviously, uh, but it's it's very good. It goes, it's, it's very approachable. It's a very good read. And it actually goes into these very complicated uh, concepts. So it, it approaches programming very pragmatically, and it always sort of relates it to real-world problems. Um, all examples are in Scala, but uh, I think that's a really good thing. Uh, Scala is a strongly typed language, and I think it's, 
it's a good idea to sort of kind of explore and play with type languages if uh, you only have a dynamically type language like JavaScript. Uh, but that book is is very good it's on a lot of uh, more complicated functional uh, concepts like monads and functors. Very cool. Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap it up? No, I think we're good. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, um, I guess since we're, uh, we're done, we'll get to the picks. Do you have any picks today? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Uh, sure. Um, so my wife and I just bought a house and uh, we're trying to uh, furnish it. So we've been watching a bunch of interior design shows. Uh, a great interior design challenge is on Netflix. It was a really fun one. And we also uh, we have some demolitions planned <laughs> uh, for our new home. Um, another one is Little Tykes, Red Cars. Those, uh, those cars you've always played with as a young kid. Uh, my son just turned one, and we got him one for his birthday, and he's been loving it so far. <laughs> what city do you live in? I, I live in Maryland. Uh, the Learning Objects office is in D.C., so I, I make the commute every day. It's a lot of fun. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, um, awesome. So I have a couple of picks. The first one is uh, Vero, Vero React, which is the React Native um, VR and AR library. They added a new feature for um, image triggers into their library a few weeks ago. So what that basically does is you can um, you can basically set a an image or a um, a piece of UI that you want to reference, like a PNG or whatever, or even um, any type of um, I think I think it's any type of image, um, and, and you can basically set it as a trigger, and you can kind of set um, your functions based around whether or not that trigger is recognized. So what that basically means is um, you can do cool stuff like um, when, your, when your VR app is open or when your AR app is open, actually it's more like an AR thing, um, and you're scanning and you're looking around, you can do interactive stuff. So one example is um, like there was an, uh, an example with the Tesla logo. When the Tesla logo like shows up, a car pops up, and then it has like this... Um, this menu where you can like change the colors and the car spinning around. Another one was uh, the Black Panther, where um, when they see the Black Panther logo, the Black Panther actually jumps out of, of wherever that image is and like comes into real life. It's really cool. 
So um, Vero, Vero React in general is a cool library, but they added something that makes it like 10 times better in my opinion. This is just, you know, it was really, really interesting and it's super easy to implement. Uh, my second uh, pick is the Expo blog. And we've talked about Expo, Expo um, well, I have actually on my podcast so many times, but Expo is a, you know, React Native uh, framework and they have an excellent blog. And if you've ever wanted to learn about building mobile apps with React Native, or with React, then check out their blog. They have a lot of good stuff on there. Okay, well, uh, Paul, thanks for coming on the show today. We appreciate your time and um, look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. Thank you for thanks. your time. Yeah, totally. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. <laughs>